we're never as prepared as we want to be for something big. And so I also say to people, you know what, just go to the line. Throw your stuff in a bag and do the best you can and sometimes you just have to get there and try. So sometimes good enough is good enough. Inspiration and information for athletes by athletes. It's a special episode of the Goo Energy Labs Pinnacle Podcast. It's a Dirty Kanza XL Deep Dive Fanboy Worship Fest recap episode with me, Eldon Nelson, also known as Fatty, as the Chief Worshipper. We're going to jump right to Reba's intro because she is the seven times world champion, four times Leadville champion, and as far as I know, the only person in the world who can claim to have won the 100 mile, 200 mile, and 350 mile versions of the Dirty Kanza XL. She's the queen of pain with a heart of gold. She's an author, she's an activist, she's a race promoter, she's a film producer, she's Rebecca Rush. Reba, how are you doing? I'm awesome, thanks, Patty. I'm gonna follow you around saying that to everyone. <laughs> Thank you, I could use a marketing uh, director, so <laughs> yeah, if you need another job. <laughs> oh, I am all over that. And of course, with me, as always for this podcast, you know, someone I not only admire, but damn near worship at this point, my friend and co-host, Yuri Hauswald, fresh off the Dirty Kanza XL. Yuri, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, today's the first day that I actually started feeling uh, human again, um, uh, so that was don't, nice. Don't say you're doing well. You are a winner of the Dirty Kanza. You took second in the only DKXL there has ever been. You're about to be honored by your high school for being jock of the huh. century. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, how are you doing? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I w I've been really, really tired the last few days for sure. Um, I had to, I drove back across country, which isn't the greatest. I had, uh, old man cankles and really sore legs to be totally honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this weekend. I'm uh, extremely honored to, to get this award or be part of the first class to go into my high school's, um, athletic hall of fame, um, which really has nothing to do with my feats in <laughs> high school. Cause I wasn't that good in high school to be totally <laughs> honest. Uh, it wasn't until college and then my, my writing career, I think. So uh, uh, it'll be fun. I'm going down with my wife and my mom, and it'll be great. It, that we, We'll make that the subject of yet another podcast, another Yuri-centric podcast. But I want to get into this race, uh, the before, the during, the after. And mostly I want to shut up and let you two tell stories of the thing. But first, for those... Uh, few people who don't know what the Dirty Kanza, much less the Dirty Kanza XL is, I want you to kind of set the stage. What is the Dirty Kanza and what is the Dirty Kanza XL? This was the first year of the Dirty Kanza XL, which was 350 miles, as if 200 miles was not far enough um, <laughs> in the Dirty Kanza. But it's a gravel event that is, I think, going into, I think it's 12th, 13th, you know, more than 10 years, um, kind of the really kind of set the stage for gravel racing. The race founders wanted to sort of go back to Dirty Kanza roots of self-supported, you know, just going out on a big long ride with a bunch of friends. And so what they devised with the Dirty Kanza XL, 350 miles, self-supported, um, the idea was, you know, a bunch of people going on a ride and, you know, you're <laughs> using, basically using the 
Um, Casey's convenience stores. Yeah. You're hitting mini marts. You're you're hitting the towns and replenishing where you can along the way. Um, and he invited. They invited only 36 riders for the 34. 34. 36, 39. Yeah. I've heard a couple different numbers, but <laughs> but that small number is basically the number that lined up with the very first year of the Dirty Kansas 200, the inaugural year of like Jim Cummins saying, hey, let's all go on this big, crazy, long ride. And so the XL this year was that. I invited only with riders who, um, you know, have the experience and or have the resume or have done other such like events. And we all kind of got this email of like, hey, do you want to do that? And, and I remember Yuri about five minutes later texted me, are you going to do this? And it was like, hell yeah. And I'm like, are you? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but the idea was to kind of go back to the roots and, and provide this really kind of self-support bikepacking experience um, that is what gravel is really founded on. And it was a really cool event and to be part of it the first year. But it, it's kind of going back to the roots with the explosion of gravel and how things are really taking off now. It was kind of like this, hey, let's go back in time for a minute. Or for 350 miles, for more than a minute. Uh, quite a few <laughs> hours, actually. For a huge number of minutes. And yeah. I love that you said, hell yeah, Reba, but... Yuri, honestly, I can identify more with the uh, I don't know because that is a it's it's a terrifying distance and, you know, lots of open questions as to, you know, considering the surface of the road and the time of the year that I would have a big question mark as to whether I would be able to complete. So run us a little bit through your thought process as to how you got to yes on that. <laughs> yeah, well, let me, because uh, my first answer definitely was not yes. I was scared shitless, uh, to be honest. <laughs> I Just so in case folks don't know what the 200 is, it's, it's you know, the quote, air quote, smaller version of the DKXL but you do have aid and a support crew if you need it every 50 or so miles. So that means you're seeing folks um, every three times during the event um, mm -hmm. and you have that kind of support. Uh, so that's the biggest difference. Well, and then also the, the sheer numbers. I think there were 2,500 people that lined up this year for the 200, the 100, the 50. Uh, so there are a lot of people out on course. Um, so those are the, those are the, that's the sort of the biggest differences between the two events. Um, but how did I get to yes? Uh, well, part of it was probably a little bit shame, you know, um, I think I texted Jay, I know I texted Jay too, and asked him the same question I asked Reba and, you know, like Reba, he, you know, enthusiastically was like, Oh yeah, dude, you know, that's just a day <laughs> ride. Um, basically was what he said, you know, like you just get to ride your bike for a day, bro. Just imagine Jay saying that. So, uh, cause that's what he was saying when he texted me. <laughs> so between those two things and then, you know, really truly wanting to, um, honor, uh, Jim's invite. Cause I knew that they put some thought into the folks they selected and for, um, you know, full transparency, I feel like I'm pretty young in the whole gravel scene, you know, that I'm relatively new to it. And that, yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and that there are folks out there, though, in the Midwest that, you know, have, you know, uh, deeper gravel chops than I do that, um, you know, should have gotten an invite possibly. So if I turned it down, you know, that would just seem disrespectful. So a number of those things. And then, you know, just the I guess the um, 
the challenge of it too. So there was a number of factors, but my first answer was no, for sure. But you did get to yes. And once you guys both got to the yes answer, whether it was right away or it took a couple of days, you had to start training and preparing and figuring out how you're going to get through this distance. I would love to hear about, you know, what were your what were your plans as far as your uh, your bikes yourselves? And since this is the Goo Energy Labs Pinnacle podcast, let's not ignore nutrition. I think Yuri prepared a lot more than I did. So Yuri, why don't you go into your prep? Because I've been, I was actually oh. really impressed with uh, with how. How um how seriously you took it and how much preparation you put into it. Well, that's that's a the perfect example of what fear will do to you, right? <laughs> you uh you over prepare, hopefully. Um, well, the first thing I did when I said yes was I think the third person I texted was my coach Adam Polford and was like, oh boy, we got a big one, and uh, mm-hmm. you know figured figured out a training plan and started in mid December logging lots and lots of road miles and, um, doing, you know, my fair share of yoga and stuff like that. Um, I got with Magda, our VP of innovation at goo and, uh, Roxanne, our sports nutritionist. And we talked about diets and devised a nutrition plan for, you know, a 24 to 26 hour effort. Um, you know, I worked with Camelback to create a three liter reservoir that went in an Ortlieb top tube bag because that was something new for me. Like I, um, you know, the whole gear aspect was a little intimidating because, yeah, I've done 200 mile races and 24 hour racing, but I've never raced with bags and stuff like that. So, you know, if you're going to race with bags, you better make sure your bags are dialed in and tight and nothing's flapping around and it, you know, it's got to be dialed. And then the tricky thing with the Ortlieb, uh, camelback hydration thing was figuring out how I got the tube to affix to my bars without it hitting my legs, without it popping out, without it, you know, when I turned the bars and, um, I eventually, that caused me a lot of anxiety for a while to try to figure that out. Uh, and then I just, uh, took some magnetic parks off of, uh, straps on my other camelback packs and zip tied it, MacGyvered it to my bars and it, Hmm. and it worked because the little, the little magnet pivoted when you turn. So it totally worked perfectly and, you know, didn't get in the way of my Garmin and, um, light that were on my bars as well. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, my Garmin, I had the charge 20 hour booster pack on there. So, um, I was set with battery power for that for sure. Um, and then, uh, WTB 40 nanos is the second year knock on wood. That's me knocking on my desk, uh, second year in a row with no flats with WTB nanos. So that was really nice. Um, so yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just did a, I did the tour of California again as my last big block. And I really think that that is what set me up really well for the XL. It's just being able to ride back to back hundred mile days. Um, yeah. So, and that allowed me to also dial in my nutrition plan too, and just get my system ready for, um, you know, a, a constant barrage of Roctane products. So what was your nutrition plan? Uh, I basically survived on Roctane gels, Roctane drink, a ton of water, um, mm-hmm. very, very few solids, a lot of branch chain amino acid capsules and electrolyte capsules because it was so hot and I've had heat stroke. That's actually a funny side story we could tell Reba, but I actually, <laughs> Reba and I became, Reba and I became better friends um, 
over a cup of soup when I had heat stroke in, uh, I believe it was Tennessee. So anyway, um, that's another, another story. But uh, I actually so I thought be... I might. I thought I might have to come across you like writhing in the ditch, be like, "Oh, Yuri, <laughs> you're cramping. You're hot, aren't you?" But I didn't have to do that. You're in front of me the whole time. Uh, yeah, that motivated me. Reba, Re- let Reba tell about her preparation because I know, like, I'm yeah. super impressed with her performance because I know that her time um, to train <laughs> is limited by weather but also by her you know super busy blood road and all the activism and stuff she does with red bull and everything like that that you know she hasn't had a lot of time to to log the hours so it'd be interesting to hear what her preparation is i um had the and that's why i was so impressed with yuri i saw him at sea otter his bike was already set up at sea otter in april for this (laughs) event it was actually already set up and i was just like oh man dude you're making me look bad. Um, I basically <laughs> banked on, uh, you know, age and experience and no training. Um, what? Honestly, Eldon, I'm like probably in, in not, not the worst shape of my life, but um, I have not had structured training in quite a long time due to work commitments, other stuff. And I said yes to this thing a while back, and I was like, yeah, yeah, this will kick me in the in the butt. I'll I'll get training in. And honestly, I have not done a set of intervals. I have done not done more than like a one or two hour ride in months, maybe even a year. And I'm I mean, this sounds really crazy. And I really, I mean, it's a little bit stressful. I was going into this event really banking on, and that's just life. Life deals you that sometimes. And um, I was really banking on experience and, um, you know, knowledge of basically how to take care of myself and go along. And, and I went in virtually with no training. Um, and I got my bike three days before the event. I did one ride, one, one hour ride on my bike. Um, I'm setting up my gear on actually on Friday at, at noon. I'm still, and we start at four o'clock. I'm still deciding which bag is going to go where with the Revelate designs bag, what I'm going to carry. I mean, I just thrown it all in when I packed. I'm like, I'll figure it out when I get there. And it's, I do not recommend this, but I really had to, this is what I had to deal with. And I had to bank on my own experience and, um, just knowledge of, you know, many years of ultra endurance, but basically a total lack of training coming from a cold, dry environment, going to a very hot environment. I coached my, I texted my coach Dean, um, who hasn't actually, haven't filled out a training peaks workout. And I can't remember how long kind of texted him like, (laughs) Hey, any advice for how to do 350 miles self-supported with no training? And he just texted back, ha ha, hydrate, eat, take care of yourself. I'm like, yep, okay, got it. That's my plan. You know, and uh, he did say, oh, if you have time, go into sauna, do some heat training. I'm like, well, I leave tomorrow. No time for that. And uh, I mean, really, it was by the seat of my pants. And it was really stressful um, to go in basically knowing, you know, some of the people I'm racing against, Sarah Cooper, for example, is, has won Trans-Iowa multiple times. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, you know, when they asked us ahead of time, what is your goal? And like, my goal is just to finish. I went in with no expectations, knowing that I was woefully unprepared, but also knowing, um, look, I, I have experience in endurance. You know, I'm just hoping that 
this lack of training doesn't rear its ugly head in the way of knee pain or, you know, or whatever else. Um, and that's why, I mean, if you were watching the track leaders, I just really had to go my own pace and I was slower at the beginning. And I think a lot of people went quite fast and the heat really got to them. Um, but yeah, I went in kind of cold turkey. <laughs> um, and so Yuri and I had two quite different preparation and I was really impressed with how much commitment he had put towards it and multiple hundred mile rides. And I'm seeing the training he's doing and just sitting there going, oh man, oh man, I'm screwed. Um, and we came in from different places. Like I knew I could do the distance cause I've, you know, it's like I, I can ride all night. Like I can do that. It might not be fast, but then Yuri was coming in scared of the event. And so he, he put in, really put in the training and it's, it's really cool to see how one experience or, and, you know, kind of that where we both ended up kind of in the same place, although I don't recommend my methodology. Um, you know, he put in the preparation and it paid off. I banked on my experience and just had to be extra, extra smart about, since I didn't have the training, I had to be really smart about the other stuff like pacing and taking care of myself and the nutrition and just being like, okay, you know, just riding my bike for a day. It's amazing. You and Yuri were truly at opposite ends of the spectrum and totally. every endurance cyclist who spends hours and days obsessing over the tiniest little details are currently having a little bit of an OCD freakout right now because of the way you did this, Reba. I just <laughs> want to jump in and, and say what you did is something that you, you personally can do with the decades of experience that you have. And I would so not recommend that as an approach for anyone else. I don't recommend it, but the thing is that that I actually think it is like we're never as prepared as we want to be for something That's big. True. That's true. And so I also say to people, you know what? Just go to the line, throw your stuff in a bag, and do the best you can. And sometimes you just have to get there and try. And you know, it it, it really. Sometimes it works, you know, I got mm -hmm. lucky in some ways and I did bank on my experience. Um, and sometimes, you know, keeping yourself from doing something because you haven't had the months of preparation or you don't know exactly where your camelback thing, like Yuri designed a special thing, you know, and I was the last minute going, ah, well, I can carry enough water. I can put it in this way. And that's, that's okay. So sometimes good enough is good enough. Yeah, Reba's riding along with a couple of gallon jugs with twine wrapped <laughs> to Come a couple on. of panniers she bought bad. at REI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will share, Fatty, that with about 15 minutes till start, like I looked at Dan Hughes and I was like, where's Reba? And he was like, <laughs> I don't know. And then we kind of started, you kind of like got that like sinking feeling and we kind of like started scanning the crowd and I'm not kidding, with like 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more, maybe 12, she came frantically from the front into the totally. start and was like, okay, totally. My friends <laughs> were got texting it. me like, where's yeah. Reba? Where's Reba? I'm like, I'm, yeah, good. I know. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, totally. That was an amazing setup. 
let's hear your race story. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it. Um, we had a nice police escort out of town, and then it hit the gravel, and it just, in my opinion, just slowly started ramping up, and you could tell, you know, people who had different priorities sort of fell off that pace, and um, I think I rode past you at one point, Reba, and like tried to get you on my wheel, and then just had my head down, and I never looked back after that. I don't know what your memories are of the start. That you dropped me like that? Yeah, I, I remember No, that. no, no. I, I wasn't no, saying it that way. It wasn't that <laughs> way. I was trying to encourage you to stay with me. Yeah, it wasn't like no, that at all. No, you were. Um, I remember yeah. rolling out the police escort and, and a few of us kind of looked at each other. Just And it was 95 degrees at 4 p.m. Yeah. And we just all kind of looked at and each humid. other just humid. like, what are we about to do? And I'm just like, man, I can't wait till sunset. And... Really, I mean, I remember people asking me, you're like, oh, 36 people, 30, it'll stay together for a while, right? And I'm like, I don't think so. And within 20 minutes, you know, there was a, a group of kind of the front 10 of us. Um, I looked behind me. I couldn't, I couldn't, as far as I could see, I couldn't see the next group of people. And then within 30 minutes, you know, I had fallen off the pace a little. Yuri and Dan and a couple other people were up ahead. And, and you could see it's those 10 people stretched out way, you know, along. And I'm on my own and, and no one else can be seen behind me. And it really was, it became this very solo, at least for me, a very solitary vision quest. And it was really interesting how quickly it just spread apart. I mean, you'd see a few people at the Casey's General Store or that people would gather, like Sarah Cooper had a bike crash and a few people gathered for that. But otherwise, it was very much an alone-in-your-head experience, at least where I was coming from. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess up to Madison, we had a, a small group of folks that rolled into Madison. I think there were two guys, possibly Joe Fox and maybe another gentleman. Um, another Joe who rode rode for salsa off the front a little bit. So um, there were about four of us that came into that the first convenience store, Madison. It was awesome. There was a crowd of folks there. I know. Um, yeah, there there was a yeah. Facebook event for the first stop, the Madison yeah. Casey's General Store. I remember um, Treva, who's the volunteer coordinator. For Her husband was there too. Yeah, she'd started a Dirty Kanza, you know, Facebook event for people to come to the first, uh, you know. Casey's general store. So you roll in there and there's like a handful of people with a cowbell. And, and that was really cool. It was kind <laughs> of exciting. And um, yeah, you go in and you get your Red Bull, you get your water and you sit on the pavement for a minute and then you keep going. But it's kind of nice to see. And then we were on our way and, and out and about. And I was riding, um, Kristen Legan was out in front. Um, and then I was with Sarah Cooper for a little while, who's on Trans Iowa a bunch. So I was like, well, she has experience doing this stuff. Um, and I remember her saying to me, like, grab on, let's just go get that next group of guys. And I was just like, mm, I'm going to sit in. It's really hot and I haven't trained. So I better just hang back here for a little bit. Um, the next time I saw her, she had, it was, unfortunately, this was probably maybe midnight and came around a really kind of technical corner and she had crashed and there was a little group of people jay and tracy peterberry were gathered there and some other folks and uh she had broken her collarbone which sucks um oh, yeah. but she had left me and she was really gunning she'd come out of retirement for this race and was like really gunning for the win and was chasing down Kristen and um 
and yeah, had a crash and it just, you know, there's so many things that can happen out there in 350 miles is, you know, you basically got to get to the finish line. So a group stopped. Jay and Tracy were awesome. They, they called an ambulance. They stayed with her. And this is the thing about this event. It's self-supported. And so you need to take care of yourself. You need to call an ambulance if something happens. You need to, you know, get your food where you can get it, your water where you can get it. And um, that was actually a really cool show of sportsmanship to me, of people just stopping and waiting and making yeah. sure she was okay. Um, yeah, and it's unfortunate. I wish her well, but um, she'll she'll live to ride another day, and she's okay. She's um she's okay. Just disappointed. But that was, and then in the next part of the evening, probably I didn't see Kristen until then, I think 3 a.m. where she had flatted. And um, again, part of the Dirty Kansas experience is, is dealing with mechanicals and bike issues. And, uh, and that's where I passed Kristen. And then I never saw her again either. And she ended up ultimately dropping out due to knee pain um, and an injury. So that was kind of, and the rest of the time I was alone, just really having an amazing ride, looking at Yuri's tire tracks in front of me going, oh, well, there's a few people in front of me. Now, I remember a, uh, a tweet or a Facebook post or something saying that you were listening to a self-help, self-help audio book during this. <laughs> I was listening to Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's is that a like self-help, self-help audiobook? Book. It's certainly a self-help audiobook. It yeah. actually was. I listened to about half of it. It was really interesting because I, yeah. well, one thing I would say about um, when I, Kansas and really long distance events, you know, and being at night, you worry about one boredom and mm-hmm. you worry about staying awake and keeping your mind attentive and focused. And so, yeah, I had loaded a couple books up. I had loaded some good music up um, because when the sleep monsters hit you and, you know, it's it's a little scary if you're falling asleep on your bike. And so, um, and while I knew I could ride the distance, um, you know, if your mind is not engaged, it gets really monotonous. And so, yeah, I'd loaded some books. And what was really interesting, I listened to about half of that book and it was kind of cool. It was like talking about traveling on two wheels and you know all this kind of was getting a little bit philosophical out there in the middle of the night by myself with the rabbits and the deer and you know (laughs) an armadillo I came I almost ran over an armadillo (laughs) and so I definitely was having this kind of like experience in my head um but then what was really cool is you know after I passed Kristen and about three in the morning, I was like, I didn't need the book anymore. And I actually turned it off and, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't listen to music or anything the entire west, rest of the way, you know, until, until, you know, I finished 8 p.m. on Saturday night. And so while I thought I needed that mental crutch, um, I didn't really need it. So that was, that was actually kind of cool. It's nice to have in my back pocket, but, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't need it as much as I thought I would. The journey inside your head <laughs> is always, I think, the most interesting aspect of any endurance event. Uh, Yuri, what was the journey inside your head like? <laughs> uh, um, well, it's interesting because I didn't use music this year, and I had it um, in my back pocket too, but 
um, I decided not to, to race with music because I was with a few of the salsa guys at the front end of things. Mm-hmm. And a couple of they were listening to music, but for some reason, I just never decided to do that. And um, just wanted to be really in tune with my body and my bike and my mind. And um, I was telling you this earlier, but like sort of just turn off all the non-essential brain and body functions, you know, like you do to your Garmin when you're trying to save the battery life. Um, (laughs) and you know, and, and really not think about anything that I don't need to be thinking about. What I need to be thinking about is, you know, line choice and my breath and what's the wind doing and is that storm going to rain on us, you know, and like, oh my God, that was a crazy lightning storm over there. And then, you know, we can talk about this too, but you know, I saw a bobcat, which is definitely my um, spirit animal. I saw it right when I got hit with hail and crazy wind at like 4 a.m. or 4.30, something like that when the storm hit us. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Reba can attest that, um, I don't know, maybe two or three in the morning that the the wind started to pick up and the temperature dropped. Finally, I, f- I felt like um, a little bit and this really dark, nasty front came in and the the winds were whipping up big time and it felt like we were kind of going across this plateau a bit or at least I was at that point and uh, it was sort of a cross tail so it was kind of blowing you along and um you know I you know I know particles and stuff like that air particles change and become more you know like energized but you could really feel like the energy I felt change then because there was this massive cell rolling in um and so the wind's picking up and I'm trying to like ride the storm and I, I'm finding it's, you know, really invigorating. Um, and then the rain comes, a little bit of rain. And then I got hit, like the wind picked up big time and the temp dropped a bunch. And then I got hit with some hail and right around that point, um, a, a big healthy bobcat ran across my path. Wow. And uh, so the day my father died, I saw a bobcat when I was out on a ride. And since that day, I can almost conjure them or I see them at times when I'm, you know, thinking about him. Um, and so I totally know that, that, that is my animal. Um, and Reba has a similar experience, which she can share later on in the race. So, um, that was really fun and motivating. I, that was actually, you know, um, my highest moment of the event, I feel like was during the night, during the dark, during that storm, actually. Um, because it motivated me to ride faster to try to get out of it. I, I felt like I may have been on the front end. I don't know where Reba was as far as getting nailed. I think she didn't even, you said you didn't even get rained on, I think. So um, <laughs> anyway, but you know, I was in second place at that point. Matt Ackers had dropped me probably somewhere around mile 130. Um, and I never saw him again and was alone for the remaining, uh, you know, 220 miles or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, then I'll, I'll let Reba jump into her story right around there then. That's really cool. And yeah, the night was freaking amazing. And I remember, you know, at dusk in the Casey's general store, I don't remember what town, but people, there were some locals there who were like, Oh, there's a big storm. It's going to hit, you know, four or 5 AM, like big lightning storm. Be careful. And I was like, Oh, Whoa, cause of course I wasn't prepared. So I hadn't looked at the weather. I hadn't like planned anything. Um, I had a really <laughs> wispy, wispy, like super light Osos rain jacket and that was it. Um, and so I was like, huh. So then sure enough, like, I don't know, four, 
4 a.m. And the night was amazing, like Yuri said. It was like I didn't need the music or, or the book because it, it really was a spectacular evening. And I saw deer and armadillo and skunk and bunnies. And, like, I was alone, but definitely not Fireflies, alone. you guys. Fireflies. Blow your mind all night. It was oh, really magic. cool. It was very, very cool riding experience. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, there's going to be a storm. Cool. And then all of a sudden you feel this super, it was like, I don't know, like the Wicked Witch of the West or something. You, I felt this really <laughs> cold wind, like blowing up, like massive headwind, super cold. The temperature changed in a second. And then all around me, there were these pods of like, lightning bolts and rainstorms and little like cells and pockets but i was threading through them and same as yuri i just was riding faster going well okay looking around one looking for shelter if it really does start to lightning and storm on me is there a barn or anything and we were in such a remote area of the course that there was nowhere to hide not even a tree and so i'm kind of looking around going well i just better ride faster and but it was really energizing there was so much energy in the storms and honestly i got a few sprinkles and some rain but i was in that sweet spot where i really skirted it because some other people behind me um were taking shelter they were trying to like they were laying in ditches with like putting their bike over them for you know <laughs> shelter and i got really <laughs> lucky and didn't have to do any of that um which was which was really cool. Um, my spirit animal story also happened to me, um, which was really great. Yuri and I have shared that we shared this afterwards, but when the sun came up, um, you know, it's, it's always great when the sun comes up here, like I made it through the night and it's sort of like, you expect this biblical music to like, oh, to like, <laughs> you know, like I made it, you know, to sunrise and my lights lasted and, you know, there's definitely an energy to the sun coming up, and it's really cool to see that happening as you're riding. And um, I hit this area that uh, I guess for Yuri and Matt had been quite muddy because of the storm. And I kept seeing Yuri's foot or someone's footprints walking, and I'm riding and thinking, man, someone must have had mechanical. Why are they walking? And I found out from Yuri later it was really muddy in that section and they unrideable. But um, all through that section, it was sort of a what they call in Kansas a B road. And so they're not the main gravel roads. They're a little bit more of the off, you know, more of like grass growing in the middle and like double tracks on the side and just much more of a remote road. And I'm seeing their footprints and, and all of a sudden there are like yellow butterflies in every footprint and like all along the trail. And as I'm riding through, the yellow butterflies are just like flying away and um the butterfly is kind of my spirit animal because when i went to laos and found the place where my dad was shot down in the vietnam war there were butterflies there and so i see butterflies a lot now while i'm riding and so it was really interesting to um you know for us both to kind of have that experience and what i think is it's really amazing on a solo ride like this or just a, a long journey how we might be alone or feel alone but really in essence you aren't alone there's all the friends the sponsors the family members you know who who helped you get there and I feel like when you strip away your you know you get tired enough and you strip away your defense layers by physically mm -hmm. working hard 
you really do, and not to get too philosophical on Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, but you know, you do go into another space in your head and, and your heart. And it's, it's, it's a really cool part about bike riding is, you know, it's not just about working your legs and your lungs. It, it's about a lot more than that. And kind of being out there in the middle of Kansas Prairie, you know, everyone, I'm sure everyone, me, Yuri, everybody else had some moment, some experience like that, that's perspective of like, what's important in life. I I think anyone who does endurance riding is at least at some level striving for one of those moments, for one of those epiphanies. I know I certainly am. It seems that they're almost, they almost have to be preceded by a low point as well, that there is yeah. some, you don't, you, you don't get to go to the peak until you've been to the valley. Um, yeah. I, I, I wonder, I don't think either of you have really talked about that. Was there's for three in, in a 350 mile ride, there had to have been some hard moments. I would love to hear about those. Well, it's, it's really weird how, um, our races sort of, I don't know, intersected in ways, yet we didn't see each other all day. But in that area where Reba said she got to follow our tracks and ride and see butterflies, um, I had to walk and push and didn't see any butterflies wow. and walk <laughs> in the ditch on the side and re-clean my bike out. I mean, it was it was, it was a really rough stretch. And I don't remember what the mileage was on that, maybe like 270 or something like that. Um, I can't totally remember, but I had already in the, in the the town prior, I don't know if it was Alma or whatever, pulled into somebody's front yard and asked them if I could use their hose because my bike had been so thrashed by an earlier section. So I sprayed out my bike and got it all clean and relubed the chain. Um, and then, so this was, I was kind of hoping that'd be the last time I had to do that. And then this segment just totally nuked my bike and I got to a a semi-dry segment and was, you know, at my wits end because I was having to carry my bike on my back and it was so heavy with all the mud on it. I mean, you can't imagine, I don't think people can truly appreciate how much mud, um, Kansas Prairie mud accumulates and then just plugs everything on your bike. Um, And so I got to the end of that stretch and actually had my first sort of like an only real breakdown and like sort of the poor me on the corner. Um, I snapped a photo. I turned my phone on and snapped a photo to my wife. And I think I said, I just walked a mile. My bike's unrideable. This is fucked. And uh, (laughs) sent it. And then turned, I did send that and then uh, turned my phone back off. And noticed that there was a a farmhouse right next to me that like an abandoned zone or somebody's like zone that they hardly use. But then there was one of those old spigots in the front yard. And so I walked over there and just turned on the spigot. Thank God it worked and just had it blast like my rear triangle and tire. And once again, did a thorough cleaning um, of my bike. And then I hoofed it for probably like another quarter mile after that to try to preserve my clean bike. Um, and so that was like the lowest low for me, uh, because we actually, you dropped into the most picturesque, beautiful zone of the course at that point too, uh, which also had a a big chunk of climbing still left. You probably had three or four K well, maybe not four K, but like three K of climbing left. Um, 
And it was an area called Little Egypt, really green, rolling hills, sort of technical trail, not trail, but, but road, um, really picturesque, um, helped take your mind off the mileage. But uh, that was sort of a nice reward, but the climbing was tough. I never turned my phone on and took any selfies. I just, I didn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was a selfie. <laughs> it was or, more you know. of like a... Uh, a call for help. Yeah. So here's, okay, so here's a quote from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And the question is, is it hard? And the answer is, not if you have the right attitude. It's having the right attitude that's hard. Yeah. And I really feel like that was the epitome of my race. Yeah, it's frigging hard. But I actually, in some ways, this race was really easy for me. Because I went in just going, I'm going to ride my bike, you know. I don't expect anything because I'm not prepared. And I'm just going to go ride my bike. And that attitude, I think, was the key to my success of, like, letting the front group go. You know, yeah, there's a couple women in front of me. Okay, whatever, you know. And I really actually was not focused on how hard it was going to be, how long it was going to be. I was actually just really enjoying with the work schedule I've had. I'm like, I get to go ride my bike for a day and a half or however long it's going to take. And that was the attitude I went into it. And that was really the key for it for me. And you talked about dark moments, um, fatty, and really it was kind of crazy. Like the first two hours of the race was the hardest for me because I was you know, Rebecca Rush, race mode, I've won the Dirty Cans a bunch of times, and oh my gosh, I haven't prepared, and people are in front of me, oh, like, I don't know, you know, I'm not ready, like, not coming in as the normal Rebecca that I would have wanted to come in as, mm -hmm. and the first two hours, I was full of self-doubt, thinking, I can't do this, like, I should just turn her out right now. What am I doing? And like, okay, just wait till nightfall. And after the first two hours, really once I let go of, of that expectation and that mentality and I changed my mentality, I had a great ride. And actually there were no roller coaster, the typical roller coaster up and downs that you get in an endurance event. I didn't have any. And I felt great the rest of the time. And it's so weird to say that. I, I, I wish I could repeat that again and again. You know, it's this magical thing that happened, but really the first two hours were the down roller coaster. And then I really didn't have a bad spot the whole rest of the time. Um, wow. And that doesn't happen very often. And all I can attribute to is my mindset because Physically, no, I was not as prepared as I could have been. And yeah, it was super friggin' hard. It's 350 miles. Um, and there was headwind the whole time. And there was all this, you know, storms happening and all this stuff happening. And I was alone. But it was easy. You know, I hope I can re recreate that again, but I don't know if I can. You know, who knows? Maybe it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Maybe it's something you've discovered how to do. I, you'll find out the next time you race, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, so take me through the, take me to the finish line, you two. Well, after I had that, you know, moment of darkness out there uh, with probably, you know, 70, 80 miles to go in Little Egypt, um and got over my pity party, I just put my head down and just started pedaling. And 
one of the techniques I'd used starting early on, you know, much like Reba said, she metered her effort. I made sure that I was spinning the climbs, which isn't my mm -hmm. style when I race, when I race the 200, um, I tend to power, you know, really try to power the climb so you can stay in the front group or thereabouts or whatever. And, um, you know, you burn a lot of matches doing that. And, um, particularly with the heat, I was really conscious of, um, spinning everything and, and just hitting it with a higher cadence and trying to, uh, you know, roll more momentum into it and roll it up the other side without taxing my muscles as much and just made that part of, you know, sort of my mindfulness of when I was riding. Um, and so, yeah, you know, once I got through little Egypt and I hit the last town, uh, we probably had, I don't know, 30 or 40 miles to go. Um, after that I had my last refill and, um, ice in the bottles, like every time and water. And I was carrying all my sports nutrition. I bought very little food at the stores. I was pretty, um, quick in and out of the convenience stores. I only purchased a few things. Um, I had some random cravings out there. I think at mile like 200 in Cottonwood, I got like a, a, a biscuit breakfast sausage <laughs> egg sandwich that I, <laughs> that I ate about half of and uh, a ginger ale. Actually, I had a couple ginger ales at different um, convenience stores that I sort of felt helped sort of reset my system a little bit. The sugar tasted really good. Um, and then I had some weird egg and ham burrito wrap because the ham sound sounded really good, um, like another 50 miles later. But uh, it was mostly Roctane gels and Roctane drink and a ton of water. I was super conscious of hydrating because I didn't want to mm -hmm. end up with heat stroke. Um, and then just, you know, became, you know, the robot that just pedals and doesn't think for the last 50 and was just trying to take it in 10 mile chunks um, to get in. And Jim put in a, a Road H out there that was about 10 miles long that was pretty rough and rocky at the end so you had to be on your game and not make a mistake because you could flat there for sure um and then you know rolled in for us we rolled in a, an old finish way which for me holds a lot of memories because that's where um i caught the leader in 2015 and we had our battle through campus so for me i was sort of reliving a little bit of old glory riding those same roads and just you know mm. was super overwhelmed and stoked to, to come across the finish line and have my wife there waiting for me. Um, yeah, it was great. That's how I, that's how my day finished. Oh, that's a good finish. Super exhausted. It's such a good finish line. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, for any, yeah. any distance you come into that shoot and all of main street shut down and everybody's out on the street, having a street party. It really is kind of a, you know, I mean, it's a lot like Leadville in that way. And just like kind of the Champs-Elysees of like, You've been, especially the 350, you've been alone for so long and there's actually people there and you're like not talking to yourself. You're like, <laughs> whoa, oh my gosh. She's like, people waited up, they, they're, they're here. Like, it's a really cool feeling. My finish, it was kind of cool because I, you know, the same town, Eskridge, um, I came in 40 miles to go and uh, finally turned on my phone and text my friends like, where's the second place woman, you know? and. And and somebody at the gas station is like, I think the Peterberries are the next team behind you. And mm. so I started racing the Peterberries, even though they're on a tandem. And I, I think sure. that last 30 miles, I like put my head down and had this massive time trial. And I, I wanted to, I decided I was going to try to race the sun and beat the sun and, you know, 
try to get in before 8.45 or whatever. And uh, it was kind of fun to have that little race with nobody there of the Peterberries and the sun, which was <laughs> my, my own little race. Um, and, and yeah, coming in and finding my friends and, and, you know, finding out how well Yuri did. But oh. my, uh, my... <laughs> I mean, it's such a community, you know, it's why we gather for these things. Uh, you know, it's amazing to, to win the inaugural XL and, and, you know, be honored in that way. But really, I mean, it's, it's more amazing to be part of this community. And uh, I'll end my final thought that I'll end with is a, a quote again from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, um, <laughs> that uh, sometimes it's better to travel than to arrive. And while the arrival is really amazing, um, the travel and the arrival wouldn't be anything without the travel. Ah, that is a good insight. I'm going to have to listen to that book. <laughs> a couple of big rides I know of that would serve that purpose nicely. How, how about you, Yuri? Your, your, uh, your big insights or your big aha moments from this race? <sighs> Oh, man. Well, I'm going to, you know, since we've gone down this spiritual path already, and it's it's not like I have, sure. you know, incense burning in my office right now or anything like that. But um, we started this tradition last year with uh, the cyclist menu, Xander and Heidi, where we draw like a sacred card, you know, um, I don't know the name of them, but they're cards and you you draw them and they have certain terms or an animal or something. And there's this whole story or lesson um, or learnings that that come with those cards. And I drew the peyote ceremony card, um, which was re which was really, really interesting considering, you know, the place we're in Kansas, the plains. Um, but just the main learning from it was that when you face your fears in life is when you learn the most about yourself and you can have this really rewarding experience. Um, they said it in way better terms than that. Uh, but that was the basic gist of it was that facing our fears sets us down this, what they called the sacred path. Um, and that you just, you, you come to understand your true potential or, um, abilities and like Reba said, you know, I definitely was scared when I texted her from my kitchen <laughs> eight months ago or whatever, for sure. Uh, and would not have said yes, you know, like if she had said no, I'd have been like, sweet. No, I'm not coming, Jim. Um, but, <laughs> no, totally. So, I'm so, glad you trust me. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, trust fall. Uh, but um yeah. And then just learnings, I guess, you know, for, for folks in general is that, you know, and this is so cliche, but you're, you're capable of so much more than you think you are. Um, mm -hmm. You, there's, there's so much potential within you. And I think we so often in life let negative thoughts or, and I, I always repeat this in my head because I've learned it from Reba was like, you know, not beating yourself up, like the positive self-talk. I definitely use that out on the prairie. Um, to help yourself keep going, you know, like, um, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's super helpful to, for your motivation. But, um, I think it would be just for folks to, to remember that you, you have so much more potential in you than you think. And, um, sometimes it's good to scare the shit out of yourself, right. With a, with an <laughs> yeah. event and, and do the hard work, um, and do the preparation. 
um, or <laughs> or not be an amazing <laughs> or be an amazing athlete who has years and years of experience, you know, and fingers crossed that that works, you know, and and, and, I, and I have the utmost respect for Reba. That's awesome that she can pull that off, you know. So um, I don't. I'm not going to th- try. Those again. are my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, anyone could take away from what Reba did that you can extend yourself beyond what would normally you'd be comfortable with. You can. Yeah, but Reba's, Reba's not your normal human being. She's not your right. normal human being. So like, I don't, I don't want people listening to this be like, oh shit, yeah, I'll sign up, you know, but like, <laughs> and don't have her depth of experience, you know, so. Right. So yeah, Reba, Reba went past her normal, which is... You know, she needs to do something that is 350 miles long on gravel to get beyond what she would normally be comfortable with. For me, to extend beyond my normal would be something of maybe half that distance. But that would still be, you know, that would still be brave and that would be bold and that would be something I'd learn from. So, you know, take what you are comfortable doing, maybe stretch a little bit beyond it. Uh, Learn something new about yourself. Guys... This is so interesting. I, you know, obviously, you know, I could listen to you two forever. I kind of think of both of you as mentors as uh, of a type uh, for different things. And I know that other people can get that same uh, experience. You have the Rush Academy coming up, and I think both of you are going to be there. Yeah, right? we are actually. You yes. and I are uh, teaching Gravel Camp Rush Academy at the end of this month, which is cool. Yes. Still a couple of spots left. Yeah, there's a couple of spots left. The goal with these, and I have a mountain bike one later in July as well. The goal with these, there are four-day excursions that really I want to arm people with the knowledge and experience to go on their own long expedition rides. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to teach them the nutrition. We're going to teach them the garment. We're going to teach them how to pack for the day. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to ride some four long days, stay in yurts, stay in some backcountry um, places. And, uh, you know, it's not like the kind of training camp where you're going to do intervals over and over again. We're going to put in some time on the bike, but really you're going to you're going to have get come away with the tools to plan your own big adventure maybe do a race like the Dirty Kanza or Rebecca's Private Idaho or something that you might, um, a bikepacking trip that you might devise on your own. And so, yeah, that's, um, it's on my website, Rush Academy. There's a couple of spots left um, and it's coming up the end of this month. We are going to wrap this episode. If you like what we are doing here on the Goo Pinnacle P- Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. More importantly, tell your friends because spreading the word on Twitter, Facebook, and in real life makes a huge difference in helping other athletes like yourself find us. For the athletes and experts at Goo Energy, I'm Fatty. And Yuri, you want to do the finish lean line? And I'm Yuri Hauswald. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Sorry, I totally fucked that up, dude. You called me <laughs> off guard. <laughs> Keep, Just say, sorry. thanks for listening to the Goo oh, Energy God. Labs Pinnacle Podcast. Try it again, dude. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Goo Energy Pinnacle Podcast.
Score, dude. Nice work, team. All right. <laughs>